Matthew today, a Mother's Day. And uh, we're going to begin in the book of Matthew, chapter 21. We're going to read just verses 18 to 22. So not a number of verses, but still, we'll go ahead and get the gist of what's going on and then move along the way here this morning. Again, we're so, so honored, so thrilled to have each and every mom with us. And we're very happy and thrilled to have each and every one of you here. Not just moms even, but we're glad you could make your way to Community Baptist. So we trust that before you leave, you'll say as the psalmist did, it was good when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. So let's go ahead and begin reading in Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 18. Matthew chapter 21, we're going to begin in verse 18 today. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, You know, I'm just going to say something here, because this has kind of been eaten at me, and it's not the message, it has nothing to do with it. But we look at that, we say, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And we think to ourselves, Boy, Jesus was pretty mean and nasty, that tree. Here's that beautiful tree, you know, fig tree. How dare he do that to that fig tree? And I got thinking about this for a minute. That's about how we are in our lives sometimes. God comes along and takes something out of our life. And we forget about all the other fig trees that he's already planted and grown and that are producing. And in this case, it's a dead fig tree. In this case, there's nothing there at that time. And he says, enough. Be done with it. Now, he's going to do this for a purpose and with a reason. It isn't just to be nasty to a fig tree, mind you. But in a picture in my mind, I see myself in some areas where God may have said to something, it's your time is done. It's no longer needed in your life. And man, I get upset with God if I'm not careful. But all along, even as he created every fig tree in the world and produces every fig that there is, we forget about all of those that he's been so gracious to and kind to and, and loving to. And we just look at the one thing that he took out. Let me tell you, God has blessed each and every one of us so much. And I know that there may be a health issue. There may be an emotional issue. There may be a, a, a spiritual issue in your life that's grating you, that's grinding you, that's causing you to even question the love of God in your life. But let me just encourage you today to say, man, God has given you every and any good thing in your life today. Anything that's of any value, any substance, anything that's good at all in your life, that comes directly from the hand of God. Please don't forget that God is responsible for the good in your life. And sometimes He allows those negative things. But with every negative thing, He also provides you the grace you need to deal with it and to face it and to overcome it in His strength and power. Now, moving on again. That was a a mini-sermon. And that one didn't cost a dime. So he goes, And when he saw the fig tree in the way, he became to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, verse 20, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, Ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall 
receive. You know, we are all aware of the many obstacles that our children face in this wicked and sinful world in which we live. I mean, our culture is ravaged with immorality, indiscretion, and indecency. At every turn in the road, we see these things rising their ugly head or raising their ugly heads. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, verse 20, we read a passage that I think distinctly describes our culture and our society and the attitude of those in this culture and society. In Isaiah 5, 20, the Bible says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Today it seems that our culture and our society is upside down. It seems that those things which 50 years ago would have been touted and elevated and magnified as being glorious and wonderful and good, today they're considered to be wicked, sinful, and evil. While also the things that were once considered to be wrong and bad and wicked and sinful are elevated as something of tolerance. And we need to, we're, it's so wonderful that we broke through that barrier and understand now, like we never understood before, that those are okay. It just seems that way to me. And as this verse describes, I believe, the state of our society today, it is a society in which we are trying to raise our children in. We're trying to raise our children in this muddied culture, this morally depraved culture, this characterless culture in which we live. Our adversary, the devil, is alive and well. How is it that we become so ravaged with sin? It's because of him, the adversary. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He is real, and he is out there trying to devour. And I guarantee you, he has a target on every single child in this room, and every child in the Sunday school. And everyone that is out in that culture and in our society today, any youth or anyone that provides or shows any prospect, and there's not a person in the world that doesn't have some potential if they have breath in their body. He's got a target on them, trying to ruin them, trying to destroy them. How does he do that? Well, I want you to know that adversary is nothing but a liar. And he's a very good liar. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls him the father of all lies. In John chapter 8, verse 44, we read, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. See, that verse reminds us that Satan is behind every single lie that's ever been told. Isn't that amazing? A little child grows up believing it's okay to have a little white lie. No, Satan's in, Satan is, is, is the, the person who is the father of that lie. There's no good lie. There's never been a good lie. Someone says, you just don't understand. Sometimes you have to lie to spare people's feelings. Satan is the father of it. That's what the Bible says. Oh, I know we can justify a lot of things in our life. A man can justify drinking alcohol because he lost his job. He goes home and beats his wife and then says, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't really me. We can justify about anything. 
But the reality is today is that we have an adversary named Satan who is a liar, a good liar, and the father of all lies. And he is out to destroy your children and to destroy mine. In his book, Living Purely in an Imperfect World, Jim Benny makes this statement or states, this, states it this way. Listen closely. Like a glutton stumbling upon a bowl of manure covered with whipping cream, the lust-driven man digs into sexual sin without realizing the real contents of the bowl until it's too late. Before he knows it, he has ingested the foul matter and the stench of it on his hands and his, oh, excuse me, before he knows it, he has died, ingested the foul matter and the stench of it on his hands and face. He is sick of mind and stomach, and he is repulsed at what he has, has done. The disgusting overtone of such imagery is needful, Benny says, to expose the consequences of sexual sin. These consequences uh, have been um, hidden because the enemy doesn't want you to see the manure, only the whipping cream. And like any good advertiser, he keeps the benefits of sin constantly in front of the consumer, studiously concealing the cost or disadvantages until you are salivating with consuming lust. Once he has his hooks in you and you are in his pocket, he shows you the fine print of the contract you've signed in your own blood. That's the image. And that's what Satan's trying to do to your children and mine. Not just with sexual sin, but with all sin. Satan covers it with whipping cream, making it look so delectable and so wonderful and so satisfying until finally, before you even realize it, you're eating the manure and you're stinking from it and you then realize how horrible you really are. And then you get to the place where you don't feel God, even a God in heaven could love you. So why even try to come to him anymore? Satan's ability to package sin attractively is second to none. And as a parent... I have looked on, I'm a parent, and I've looked on with great concern for the well-being of my children. And like every mom and every dad, every grandma and every grandpa in this room here today, I am concerned like you are that Satan would love to get his filthy mitts on each of my offspring. I'm equally sure that the well-being of my children and their, their, uh, and, and their, and, and their futures are at stake here. I'm confident of that. And I know you are too, as you look at Satan and his tricks. There's a song that we chant or sing, if you will, on our buses. It goes like this. Potato chip, potato chip. And they go, potato chip, potato chip. Crunchy, crunchy. Crunchy, crunchy. I love Jesus. A bunchy, bunchy. <laughs> the next verse goes like this. Help me out, gentlemen, right here, the three in the front row. Peanut butter, peanut butter. If they were on our buses, I'd kick them off. Peanut butter, peanut butter. Creamy, creamy. I hate the devil. He's a meanie, meanie. You want to know something? He is a meanie, meanie. And someone says, you shouldn't tell your kids to hate anybody. He hates them. And he wants to destroy them. Listen, I don't go about going around, you hate this guy or you hate that guy. Jesus is about love. But let me tell you something. 
God hates what the devil's doing. God hates what he's attempting to accomplish. He hates what he's doing to your children, your family, this culture, this country. God hates it. And let me tell you something. I hate the devil for hating me and hating you and wanting to send you and me to hell. Someone says, you shouldn't hate. Well, the Bible says I can hate him. I'm allowed to hate him. Because he is the he is evil itself. And I'm to hate sin. And he is sin. And he can't even be saved according to the Bible. The devil will never be saved. I don't care how much you pray for him. The Bible never directs us to pray for Satan. Never. He's not a person. He's an entity. He's a created being. He's a cherubim that fell. There's a difference. He's not a person. So therefore, we, we don't hate a person by hating Satan. Although he is as real as any person you've ever met and much more dangerous. You better hate what he stands for. And you better realize that he wants to ruin and wreck your family, your children, and he wants to take them to hell with him. See, his goal is to package sin so innocently and so appetizingly that he distracts us in our lifetime from the reality of sin's ultimate consequence. And that is hell. That's where we end up when we fail to recognize God in our life. When we neglect the Lord Jesus Christ. As a mother today, you can do a number of things to expose and expel Satan from your home and your children's lives. There's a number of things you can do. But there's one thing that you can do, no matter your age, no matter your health, or even your proximity to your children, that can effectively benefit and provide your children with both help and hope for a lifetime. And that is prayer. That's prayer. We don't, we don't really talk as much about prayer maybe as we ought to. But the Bible, Jesus Christ himself said, Ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and thou shalt be, and, and be thou cast into the sea. It shall be done. All and all things, whatsoever ye ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. A mother's prayers. What a powerful, uh, what, what power is afforded with this weapon of prayer that he gives to you today. As a mom, even as a dad, as a child of God, the weapon of prayer at our disposal, in our very grasp today. I believe God answers prayer. Answers always, everywhere. I may cast my anxious care, burdens I could never bear, on the God who heareth prayer, never need my soul despair, since He bids me boldly dare to the secret place repair. There's there to prove He answers prayer. He answers prayer. Prayer is powerful. It is the one thing that every mom can do this morning, no matter what. You say, but I'm not able to do what I used to do. But you can still pray. I'm not able to, to, to play with my grandchildren like I used to. But you can pray for them. I don't have my health any longer. And I'm confined to a bed or to a wheelchair or to a walker. Let me tell you, you can pray. Prayer is something that Satan hates. He hates a mother's prayers. Satan hates a mother's prayers. And this morning I want to give you three reasons why he hates a mother's prayers. Real basic, real simple. He hates them. This is a battle for your children today. We're in a battle for our kids. That's all there is to it. You know, we face our culture sometimes and we kind of dismiss that reality. We forget that there is an adversary that awaits them, that is there to pounce on them, to trick them, to deceive them, 
to wrap that manure with whipping cream. We forget that. But today, your prayers and mine can make more of a difference than probably anything we could ever do. And I want to encourage you that prayer is something you can do no matter what. You ever wondered why the Lord set baptism as the next step once you get saved? To be baptized? Someone says, that's ridiculous. I mean, why do you have to be baptized? I mean, okay, you've been saved by the blood of Christ. You're on your way to heaven. It doesn't get you to heaven being baptized. No, it doesn't. It is the first step or the next step, I should say, of obedience. Why do we have to take that first step? Just like any child, you take a step, your first step, before you take your second and your third. You want to know what step you, myself, anybody can take, no matter what physical condition they are, really? No matter what. Everybody has to take a bath sooner or later. Everybody has to get cleaned up somehow, right? So that means that water's not going to kill anybody. And no matter how crippled you are, you could get into some water at some point and you could be baptized. God said, I don't want anyone to have to do anything that is impossible. I'll not ever ask you to do anything you can't do. Anyone can be baptized. You say, well, I know somebody can't. They're allergic to water. I don't want to be around them. Come on now, let's be honest. Allergic to water. Come on now. Take them to a mountain then. There's got to be pure water there. Unlike all the stuff that we drink today. But anyway. Now, nonetheless, prayer. Such a powerful tool. So I'm going to give you three reasons why Satan hates a mother's prayers. And I hope before it's over with, you'll say, I'm going to pray for my kids. I'm going to pray for my grandbabies. I'm going to pray for those children at the church. I'm going to offer up that weapon of prayer daily, regularly, consistently, faithfully. Because that weapon is powerful. And that's what I hope we can accomplish before we end today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Help us now in these next moments. Fill me with your spirit. Let me be your mouthpiece. May you be with your people today. Thank you for this great crowd that's gathered, Father, for the purpose of honoring moms as well as honoring you. Now, Lord, bless them. Help us to be encouraged, we pray, in these next couple of moments. In Christ's name, amen. Number one, Satan hates a mother's prayers because they beckon heaven. They beckon heaven. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, if you have your Bible, why don't you turn there very quickly. It won't take just a moment. But again, we're reminded again of how God answers prayer. In the book of Matthew, he says, in verse 7, Ask, you probably know it by heart, some of you, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If we're guilty of anything concerning prayers that we don't ask... We've got to ask. You have not because ye ask not, the Bible says. Oh, we need to ask the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it comes to our children, there should be nothing more urgent in our minds than them. And I tell you, more important than having a full bank account would be having a child that has a full heart for Jesus. Amen. I mean, long after, long after... Uh, they've, they've failed in business. Long after they've failed in paying a bill, they, they, they can succeed in a relationship with Jesus Christ. They can still have peace and purpose and contentment in spite of the fact that they don't have a million dollars in the bank. Man, I'm more important than a, a, a career for my kid. I wanted them to have a companionship and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Prayer works and it beckons heavens. It gets God's attention and it gets the ear of God. Hannah... A Bible character was barren. 
Her heart was broken. Why? Because she could not have children. But she prayed to the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10, the Bible says, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Her heart was broken because she had yet to have a child. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it, shall, and it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli, Eli the priest marked her mouth. He noticed her mouth moving. Now, Hannah, she spake in her heart. So she's praying in her heart, but her lips are moving, but she's not really saying anything in a sense. She's, and all of a sudden, the Bible goes on to say, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. He thought, man, this woman has already been tipping it. She's got some real issues, man. I mean, she's hurting, buddy. I mean, it's already early, but boy, she's already lit up. And Hannah eventually says, no, 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 that's not the case at all. I haven't been drinking, sir. Mr. Priest, I'm not drinking. My heart's so bitter of soul, my, so heavy, so burdened. I just want God to hear my prayers. I want God to give me a child. You know what God did, don't you? Gave her Samuel. Wanted to be one of the great priests and prophets of Israel. God heard her prayer. i got to believe with all my heart that she didn't stop praying for Samuel after he was born. You know what I mean? All those years. Can you imagine? Okay, Lord, you give me a child. I'll give him back to you. i got to believe the moment he was, she held him in her arms for the first time. She's thinking, oh God, oh God, keep him safe. Oh, God, protect him. Oh, God, help him to know you early in his life. Help him to love you like he ought to love you. God heard her prayers. Because, see, Satan, I want you to know Satan hates the prayers of a mother because they beckon heaven. They reach God's ears. He hates it. And even as Hannah's prayers were heard, I want you to know that God will hear your prayers, too. God, help us to pray for our children, moms. I mean, consistently, daily, regularly, faithfully. God, help us. Number two, not only does Satan hate the prayers of uh, the mother's prayers because they beckon heaven, but he hates a mother's prayers because they break his hold. They break his hold. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Here in the passage, we're going to begin reading about a man that was bound. No doubt about it. Satan had a hold on him. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. When he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time, wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. He saw Jesus. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oft times it had caught him. He was 
kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? He said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. They besought him that he would not command them to go out of under the, the deep. And there was there a herd of many swine feeding on the mountain. And they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them. And he suffered them. And then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. <clears throat> when they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what was done. And came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid. Amen. Imagine that. Here this man was. He had no clothes on. He didn't abide in a house. He lived in the tombs. They could hear the shrieks and the howls of his voice throughout the night at times. That crazy guy, that nutcase, that mental case. There's no helping him. We don't even want him in our city. Get out of town. We want nothing to do with you. You're crazy. You're nuts. You ever had a neighbor like that? <laughs> Moving on. Fortunately, I don't have a neighbor quite like that. But let me tell you this. If I did, I wouldn't want a neighbor like that living next to me either. And they said, get out of here. And man, I mean, the devil drove him out into the wilderness. He ends up in the tombs. Man, here he is, no clothes. He has no peace of mind. He has nothing that would be called normal humanity. And here he is now, facing Jesus Christ. And we know that before it's over with, Jesus Christ does a miracle in his life and body. And what was once bound is now loosed. What was once prisoner is now free. Amen. This man, this maniac was now seated and clothed and in his right mind, the impossible. May I contend with you this morning that this man had a mother. He had to have, because that's how men are born. Someone says, well, how do you know she was there? It doesn't say nothing about her. I know, and I can't honestly say 100% for sure, but let me tell you this. If mom was alive, she was concerned for her son. I don't care what he'd done in the past. I don't care who he hurt in the past. It doesn't matter what, what direction he took in life. She, as a mom, loved her son. And let me tell you something. i got to believe with all my heart there was a mama praying for her son. Every night when they'd hear the shrieks come from the tombs, mom would say, oh God, oh God, oh God. And one day, her prayers were answered. One day, the God of heaven showed up. And just like God will show up when we pray, when our prayers reach heaven, and God, the Lord Jesus Christ, hears them, and He Himself comes and answers our prayers, He too will break the hold of Satan on our children. I don't know. He's determined, I know that, to get a hold of them, to keep a hold of our kids. He binds them with vice in this world. He preys on their weaknesses and exploits their most basic desires and needs. More than we would admit, 
Satan deceives those we love so dearly and often. Just a little prayer may make the difference. God help us to pray for our kids. But you don't know my child. He's he's an alcoholic. He's a drunkard. You don't know my kid. He's bound with drugs. You don't know my kid. He's in the state penitentiary. You don't know my kid. He's in a mess right now in his life. And he's in a mess in his home and in a mess in his family. I don't care. You ought to be a praying mom. Because Satan hates the prayers of moms because they break his hold. But it didn't happen. I prayed for a week. I prayed for two weeks. I prayed for a month. I prayed for a year. Don't stop praying. They break his hold. I read of a mother who died. Actually, D.L. Moody talks about a mother who had died, leaving her child alone and very poor. She used to pray earnestly for her boy. I mean earnestly. And she kind of left the impression on his mind through the years that she cared more about his soul than she cared about anything else in the world. He grew up to be a successful businessman. He was very well off, actually. One day after his mother had been dead for probably almost 20 years, D.L. Moody said, he thought that he would remove her remains and put her into his own cemetery lot, you know, right beside where he would one day lay. And so he began to remove her remains and began to replace them in that new resting place. And while he was doing that, the thought came to him that while his mother was alive, she had prayed for him. And um, honestly, he could not understand why her prayers had not been answered. Because she cared more for his soul than anything else. Oh, he was rich. Oh, he had made a good way in life. But his soul was still lost. But it was that very night that the man was saved. After his mother had been buried for so long a time, the act of literally removing her body to another resting place brought up all those memories of his childhood. He remembered those prayers of his mother. Oh, she had nothing to offer him financially. She didn't have a very nice house to live in. They didn't have all the the recent clothes and new shoes. No, but she did care for his soul and she did lift up his name in prayer and she did bring him to the throne of grace. And 20 years after she had died, after digging her up and after placing her in a, a, a tomb beside where he would one day lay, he finally remembered those prayers and God got a hold of his heart and shut it free. Satan hates the prayers of a mother because it breaks his hold. Finally, Satan hates the prayers of a mother because they bind his hands. They bind his hands. A woman by the name of Jochebed, you'd know her as the mother of Moses. It's one of the most unappreciated mothers probably in the Bible. We don't talk about her that awfully much. And yet she showed tremendous faith in the, in the God of heaven. In order to avoid a mass, avoid a mass slaughter of the, the boys in Israel, of course, uh, Pharaoh had issued a decree telling all the boys to be killed that were born. In order to avoid that, she chooses to place her son by faith in, in a little, we'll call it a little ark, okay? And down the river, her child goes. Think about leaving your child in a little ark that floats down a river and praying, praying that someone finds your son and can raise your son in safety. Not only did someone find her son, but Pharaoh's daughter found her son. And not only did Pharaoh's daughter find her son, but Pharaoh's daughter said, 
Wow, I've got a baby, but I can't feed him. I need someone to do that. By the way, sister, Moses' sister, can you go find someone to feed your brother? She didn't know it was her brother. She runs off and says, Mama, guess what? Moses needs fed. And not only are you going to get to feed and hold your baby, but you're going to get paid to do it. Let me tell you, moms, God answers prayers. And he binds the hands of Satan. Satan had sought to put a chokehold on Moses. Satan had sought to destroy that child along with all the other boys. But a praying mom said, no, I'm going to unbind those hands. I'm going to keep you. They're going to be like this. They're going to be bound and not bound around his neck. They're going to be bound right here. Here they are. You can't do anything to my kid. That's what prayer does. It binds Satan's hands. Did you think of us this morning as you breathe the word of prayer? Did you ask for strength to help us all our heaven burdens bear? Someone prayed and strength was given for the long and weary road. Someone prayed and faith grew stronger as we bent beneath our load. Someone prayed, the way grew brighter, and we walked all unafraid. In our heart, a song of gladness. Tell me, was it you who prayed? God hears the prayers of moms. At the Amsterdam Conference for Itinerant Evangelists in in 1986, a very renowned Korean speaker by the name of Billy Kim told the story of an American soldier that was hiding in a bunker during the Korean War. When his commander ordered him to rescue some of the fallen comrades, some of his fallen comrades in the front lines, the soldier simply nodded his head, yes, sir. And then he kind of took a covert glance at his watch, kind of looked down real quick, kind of looked at his watch. And there he sat. He didn't move an an inch. He just sat. The commander was finally out of sight, and he just sat there, not moving, taking no action whatsoever. Several minutes went by, actually. And finally, one of his soldier friends said, Hey, hey, you, you, you heard, what, you heard what, uh, what the captain said. You've got to go out and get those soldiers. You, gotta, you, you heard it. You said you would. I think he's probably worried that he'd have to if he didn't. He kind of looked at his watch again, and he just kind of held on. And finally, finally, all of a sudden, he leaped out of the bunker, and he went to gather up all his companions and all of his fellow soldiers. He brought them in one at a time. And at the end of the day, a friend asked him to explain his actions. What in the world were you doing? Why didn't you just jump up when you were told? Why didn't you just go out and get your comrades? Why would you wait after the captain told you for so long? He said, well, I was afraid because I knew I was not ready to die. I waited until my fear would be overcome. Because I remember that a certain time every day, my mother said she'd be praying for me. And I knew no matter what awaited me, I could face it because my mother was praying. Moms, let me tell you something today. Satan hates when a mother prays. Hates when a mother prays. Because, see, when a mom prays, they beckon heaven. 
They break his hold. They bind his hands. And this morning, I want to encourage you moms, as well as each and every one of us today, that name the name of Christ to pray. Because it is a powerful weapon in the child of God's hand. And often a neglected one. May God help us to use it frequently, consistently, and faithfully. Today, if there is one prayer that you need to pray before all others, it's a prayer, if you will, of repentance to God. Of asking forgiveness for your sin. Of recognizing that He died on a cross 2,000 years ago. That He suffered, bled, and died a perfect, sinless Savior. That He did not deserve to die, but instead He did in your place because you did. He took your place. He paid for your sin. He suffered, bled, and died so that you could escape the awful consequences of sin, which is hell. Today, if you've never gone to the Lord Jesus in prayer, if you've never called upon the name of the Lord, then you need to settle that today. And you do that by simply saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. No one has to tell me that. I know that you died for me. I know that you rose again, just like the Bible says. I believe that you will forgive me if I ask. And right now, I'm asking you to forgive my sin. Come into my life and be my Savior. Forgive my sin and take me to heaven one day. I need you and only you because I can't do it myself. I need you to do it for me. Can I tell you that he'll hear your cry? He'll answer your prayer. He'll literally move into your life. Take abode and residency there. He'll empower you and enable you to overcome the sin that binds you today. He will set you free and give to you eternal life as well. But you must call and ask. That is how powerful prayer is. We ask, God hears and answers. May we be bold enough to go to the throne of grace today. May we be committed enough to pray, not just for our loved ones, our children, but necessarily for ourselves even. We must pray first for ourselves to be saved. And then God can use us to help others find Him as well. We love you. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us.